I was uh, thinking, I was about 20 um, when I uh, got to that point in my life of thinking, what is life really all about? And I was filling it with everything other than God at the time. Um, And one night I got to that point of just saying to God, if you're up there, then come into my life. Come and lead my life and take the driving wheel, take the driving seat, if you like, uh, of my life. And uh, before the end of that week, I'd started to start on that journey of following God, of being a Christian. And so that first Sunday, I decided I should go to church. I should go to church to worship this God. I should try and find a church. I didn't really know where to go. I went to a little Scottish parish church uh, down the road from where I lived. And uh, it was a large church building, uh, but there was only about 10 people in it and this dog. And uh, we sat there and we saw these kind of hymn numbers on the side of the wall and this organ struck up from somewhere. I still have no idea from where. And um, nobody sang. And I was a little bit surprised. And uh, I, you know, I was a newcomer, so I tried my best to sing some of these hymns. Uh, The dog tried his best to sing some of these hymns, but uh, nobody seemed to be joining in. So um, I looked at the dog, the dog looked at me, and uh, we slunk out the back and thought, we'll go and find somewhere else uh, where they actually want to celebrate this God. And I was relating this story to someone just the other week, and they said, I've got an update for you. I said, I was intrigued, an update. So he said, yeah, he said, there was a guy, this guy I know very well, he was preaching, and he proclaimed the gospel, and he invited everybody to respond at the end. And he said, the first one down the front was a dog. It was Donnie's knees, so at least he got there. He got there somewhere, somehow. I did find a church in the end and uh, that, that wanted to celebrate God, and uh, it was uh, really helpful uh, for my life. I think it's, I remember thinking, you know, the, the point in, in my life was thinking, actually, if God had my filing cabinet, what would my filing cabinet look like? And if God was to pull out the file of my worship, if you like, what was my worship look like? Would that be a thick file? Would it be a thin file uh, in there? And I realized that actually there's not a file on worship. The whole drawer is labeled worship. That the whole of our lives is actually what it's about. That everything in my life is an expression of worship, whether I worship the right things or whether I worship the wrong things. Whether it's a file on my relationships or my money or my leisure or my work or my attitudes or my words, whatever it is, every single bit of that is what constitutes uh, our worship. Every aspect can honor God or it cannot, depending. As Romans 12 puts it in verses 1 and 2, familiar to many of us, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies or your whole selves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Live no longer like the world. And 1 Chronicles 16 and verse 8, we we read these words. Give praise to the Lord and proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And so Israel's thanksgiving, Israel's praying, Israel's singing is to be a witness to the nations around them. Um, It is to be a testimony to the power and the glory of God. And so an obedient Israel was effectively God's exhibit A to the world. It was the evidence of the character of God and of the reality of God as God interacted with his people. Look at my people, and and hopefully they would want to know the true and living God. And uh, they were to be a a whole draw people. They were to be people who the whole of their lives uh, were given over and dedicated to God. And so with us as well, that the whole of our lives, uh, the whole of the filing cabinet is a representation 
of what we bring to God. Now, we know in, in there there is some shameful stuff. We know there is some bad stuff. And yet, because of what Jesus has done, it's been erased. It's been bagged up. It's been thrown away. It's been trampled on. It has been done away with. And God has forgiven it completely. And now it's beginning to fill up with some good stuff, with some God-honoring stuff. Um, as we rely on him and as we grow in him, that tells a story of God's grace and God's glory in our lives. So we continue to be God's exhibit A um, to the world around us. Uh, verse 15, it says, he remembers his covenant forever. So for the, the Israelites, that was the old covenant. That was the Old Testament. That was the old agreement. Um, but for us, and that was basically God's faithfulness to them, regardless of them getting it right or wrong. He would be faithful to them. And for us, it's the new covenant. It's the new testament. It's the new agreement that what Jesus has done for us completely sets us free. And that affects the whole of how we live our lives and affects the whole um, of what we do. Verses 8 to 22 are actually taken pretty well directly from Psalm 105. It's the first third of that verse. And it's all about the covenant of God. It's all about God uh, reminding his people that they are his chosen people, that they, he is working out his schedule, even though they've been taken off to Babylon and now brought back, that God is at work, that God is being faithful to them despite their unfaithfulness, that he will keep their promises. And, uh, and so Psalm 105 was probably written as they returned back from Babylon and they could see the hand of God on the events uh, of their history. And then the next section of um, uh, of this passage is, is actually Psalm 96. They've borrowed 96 and brought it straight in uh, to this passage. Um, and so I want to focus particularly on this. And again, it's reckoned that this psalm was used when they dedicated the second temple to God um, as the Jews returned back to Babylon, back from Babylon. And as you read it, you kind of get the impression that they were a kind of a weak feeling remnant. You know, they've come back and they're surrounded by these strong Gentile nations. And maybe you're here today and you feel that pressure. You feel actually quite weak. You feel surrounded by uh, the pressure of circumstances, um, the threats around us, the challenges that we might face. And so it's relevant to our lives. But it's also a psalm that looks ahead and looks ahead to the kingdom age when the Messiah uh, reigns again and he comes back. And actually the, the strong, the so-called strong Gentile nations will bow their knee and they will worship their God as well. And God reminds them of that. And just for completion, the last three verses of the section we've read comes from Psalm 106. It's the top and tail of Psalm 106, and they've kind of combined them um, together. But what I want to focus on is these four worshipful commands that we get in this middle section. And uh, the first of those is to sing. Okay, sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Um, it's in verse 1 of Psalm 96. It's in verse 23 of uh, 1 Chronicles 16. It talks about his marvelous deeds. And uh, so we're commanded to sing. And the reason is because the news is good. It is good news uh, that we have. Salvation, marvelous deeds. In fact, Psalm 96 says we, we sing a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. And actually singing is good for you. I was researching this to find out what are the benefits of singing regardless of faith. And apparently it's very, very good for you. It's good for you physically. It's good for you emotionally. It's good for you socially. Um, it strengthens your immune system. Did you know that? It can give you great workout for your lungs. So, you know, get stuck in there. It improves your posture. Apparently it improves your sleep. I don't recommend it while you're trying to sleep, but um, uh, you may get a, a nudge in the ribs from anyone nearby. Okay, it's a natural antidepressant. 
It lowers your stress levels. If you're a football fan, you will relate to that. Um, it improves mental alertness. It boosts your confidence. It increases your communication skills. It does everything, does many, many things in our life. But with faith, it also brings glory to God in a phenomenal way. And to sing a new song is to sing something from our hearts. It's something that's new in our hearts because each of us as, as believers, as Christians, um, have a new song to sing because we have a new heart. And it may be a new experience of God's blessing in your life that causes that song to rise. Or it may be a new truth that you discover in God's word. It may be a new beginning uh, with new hope after a time of crisis and discouragement in your life. It may be a new door, a new open door of opportunity to serve God in some way or to make a difference in our world. And all of these things can cause a new song to rise in our hearts. Uh, I want to introduce you to uh, Andrew. Andrew's been fairly new to the church. And uh, Andrew, do you want to come up? Can we just give him a welcome? And um, come up, stand up. Here. So, Andrew, just tell us a little bit. So, just take us back a few months, and what was life like for you? Um, so, six months back. It's a, a struggle. Um, okay. I was at a place where I probably didn't want to <coughs> be here anymore. I was. Um, contemplated probably suicide at times because I was struggling with um, outside addictions and um, grief yeah. a few years back. Yeah. And, uh, and what was so the gambling, gambling addiction yes. kind of involved with as well. So in that slightly dark, kind of dark, dark time in your life, what, what brought you to Riverside? What, what happened that meant you ended up coming here? Um, I'd say a guardian angel was placed in my life uh, before all, you know, uh, Naomi was um, a chance meeting with her, uh, came across. Yeah. Uh, so Naomi Woodruff that you yes, talked to. Yeah. Yes, uh, so. And she just started to talk to you, invite you along? Yes, yeah, yeah. Sent me some literature. She was organising the play just before Christmas at Pineapple. Yeah. So she invited me along to that, sent me yeah. some literature and then. Uh, Martin invited me to come to the Christmas service here. With so you the... came to the carol service here? Did... How did you find that? What was that like for you? First time in something? Fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was Christmas, obviously everyone was full of joy, looking forward to their dinner, pudding, presents at the time. So, But, you know, it's obviously Christmas is full of spirits, yeah. happy times. I think that was probably as good a time as any to first come along. So what's helped you in your sort of journey of faith along from that? Um, I think I've got recommended to do the Alpha course, yeah. the 10-week thing, which obviously being new to the faith, yeah. know absolutely nothing about it. So that was good as an introductory thing. Yeah to learn things about, um, just download some songs that are here, listen. Worship here. songs. Yeah, worship songs, okay. and go to some of the other life groups yeah. at Riverside offers. And what difference do you feel Jesus is making into your life? I, I said he's given me new hope, you know, a purpose in life, something to look forward to. I think I was having a chat with Nathaniel the other day. I think the word I always use is, Giving me a resurrection. Okay, yeah, yeah. And when you come to talk about Jesus, or if you were to say to someone else, what, what is it most impresses you about Jesus? What would you say it would be? The blood, sweat, tears, and sacrifices he made to us all. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, so we, we sing, it says, sing to the Lord all the earth. And this is an invitation to the whole world. 
Okay, this is an invitation to the whole of Birmingham. It's the invitation to everyone in King's Heath and Morsley and Whole Green and Sturchley and Bourneville and Balsall Heath and wherever it might be in our world. And so let's be people like Naomi who invite others around to join us and to find out about this God uh, on a Sunday. Because even the words of, of these songs, the words of our worship are a testimony to those uh, around us. Um, you know, it says we're to proclaim his name, which means to preach the, the good news and Old Testament speak. So the first is to sing. The second uh, thing we read of is to praise. Uh, if we're in not, Psalm 96, is verses 4 to 6. If you're in 1 Chronicles 16, it's verses 25 to 27. And it says, For great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. And so the command is to praise because he is great. Because he is great. It says the surrounding nations you know, all had their, their so-called gods, uh, but they were nothing in reality. Uh, verse 5, for all the gods of the nations are idols. And the word translated idol simply means, it means they are nothing. They are, they are weak. They are worthless. Um, Psalm 115 um, sort of unpacks this whole thing about idols. Um, it talks about, you know, they're just made of silver and gold made by human hands. And then it says this in verse 5, it says, they have mouths but cannot speak. You know, they can't make covenants with the people. They can't make promises to the people. They can't bring guidance and encouragement, and yet the Lord speaks to us. It says they have eyes, but they cannot see. No, they cannot offer any protection to their followers, no oversight, and yet the Lord, it says, has his eyes upon us, and we can trust him as he sees ahead uh, through our lives. It says they have ears, but they cannot hear. You know, no matter how much their idolaters pray, their gods cannot hear them. And some of you may be familiar with the story on Mount Carmel with Elijah and the Baal worshippers. And how the Baal worshippers kind of hype themselves up into this frenzy, and yet their gods will not do anything. And Jesus and Elijah just prays this simple prayer, and God comes through. The Lord God hears our cries like he did Elijah's. It says they have noses but cannot smell. Um, you know, our God receives our, our worship and our praise and our giving and our service as a fragrant offering. You know, he, he's aware of it. They have hands, but they cannot feel. You know, the workers who made these so-called gods had more power than the idols themselves. You know, and they were the ones who created them. And yet we look at our world, we see God's fingerprints over the whole of creation, the whole of the universe. You know, his arm, it says, reaches out and brings hope and salvation to people. It says they have feet, but they cannot walk. You know, the people had to carry their idols around with them. Um, and yet we have a God who walks with us and literally has walked in Jesus on this planet. His feet have touched this earth. Um, and so whenever you worship or whatever you worship, it says that you become like that that you worship. So if it's idols, that's what you become like. Um, but if it's the true and living God, he transforms our senses to see and to hear and to speak and to reach out like he does. Whereas if we don't, then uh, we become blind to his light, become deaf to his voice. So we sing to him because the news is good and we praise him because um, he is great. Far above the gods of the ancient worlds, or false religions, or even the, the idols of the 21st century that seem to muscle their way in for our affections today. Then the next little section, um, in verses 7 to 9, or in 1 Chronicles 16, it's verses 28 to 30. It says, ascribe to him glory and strength. Worship the Lord. Okay? And so the command is to worship the Lord, 
to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, to tremble before him all the earth. He's worthy of our worship and uh, in the splendor of his holiness. And again, I think holy, holiness is a word that often gets a bad press today. You know, we tend to think of the kind of the holier than those, you know, kind of the sanctimonious attitudes, the holy Joe. Um, and yet the Bible's view of holiness is, is so inspiring. You know, it's so inspiring and totally different. And I think the word splendor gives us a clue to it. The splendor of his holiness. Um, C.S. Lewis put it like this when he was talking about holiness. He said, when you meet the real thing, it is irresistible. It is irresistible. Holiness is a color-filled word. Okay? It is vividly portrayed in the life of Jesus. You know, as you look at Jesus' life, you see his purity, in, which becomes so attractive. You know, even the sinners are attracted to it because it is so beautiful. You know, folks like Matthew and Zacchaeus, the tax collectors, Mary Magdalene, who is uh, demon-possessed, and the very down-to-earth fishermen, you know, they knew what human nature was like. They were not naive, and yet they were drawn uh, in an extraordinary way uh, to Jesus as they see that, that aspect of his holiness. We see it in the fruit that he produced. You know, John writes, he says, he was full of grace and full of truth. In fact, we've seen his glory. Okay, there's a beauty to it. The love that he brought, the joy that he had, the peace, the life, the compassion, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, and the forgiveness that he expressed. Um, it's a life that inspires right living, um, the way that he lived it. Fruits that people are really hungry for in our world and ourselves, and it's compellingly beautiful. We see it also in Jesus' total dedication you know, he was set apart, just like the implements in the Old Testament, he was set apart for the purposes of God. And as, as Andrew said, you know, what's impressed me is his sacrifice, what he has given, always living to please the Father, even to that point of death. And we'll be celebrating and reflecting that on Good Friday, and uh, not so far from here. We see it in Jesus' power as well. His holiness is seen there and probably at its most virulent you know, when he encounters the, the powers and forces of darkness and of evil, you know, they shudder and flee at his voice. They say, have you come to destroy us, Mark 1, And they say, I know who you are, the Holy One, the Holy One of God. Okay, even the wind and the waves obey him. And so we worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And uh, as we're inspired by that, we ascribe to him glory and strength. And then fourthly, uh, we read of this command to rejoice uh, in verse 11 in Psalm 96 and verse 31 in 1 Chronicles 16. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. And verse 13, it says, for they will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. And so the command is to rejoice. And the reason is because he's coming and he's coming as king. The Lord reigns, uh, literally means that the Lord has become king. He's looking forward to the day when Jesus will sit on David's throne and rule over the nations, as it says in Luke 1, 32 and 33. You know, a day when there'll be true justice, a day when all things will be made new. Everything that is horrible in this world will be put right. Um, and Paul writes about it, doesn't he, in Romans 8, verse 19, and he says, even creation itself is waiting for that day, you know, to be liberated from decay, to be freed from frustration, to be healed from the pain. 
um, at the day and on the day when the children of God will finally and be fully redeemed when Jesus returns as king. There will be joy in the heavens and on the earth. It says there'll be joy in the seas and in the fields and in the trees and in the forests. Um, and uh, as I said a few weeks back when we were looking at celebration, I love the J.B. Phillips translation of this that says, the paraphrase of it that says, creation is on its tiptoes, kind of looking over to see the coming back of Jesus to make all things new. Um, and even now he drops that grace and that mercy upon us. So as we come to a conclusion this morning, as, um, let's live whole draw lives as worship of God. You know, let's sing because it's good news. Um, each one of us has a new song. Let's, let's discover it and remind ourselves of it. Let's praise our God for he is great and the idols of our world are empty and worthless. Let's worship him in the splendor of his holiness. He is so worthy and he is irresistibly powerful and glorious in all that he is. Rejoice because he's coming back as the king. And surely we can't keep this God to ourselves, but actually we're to tell the nations, we're to tell others.